safer sex. Intercourse. Conduct. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Treatment. Treatment. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted infection. Welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. This episode is being released on National Close the Gap Day. To mark the occasion, I'll be speaking with some people who are working to close the gap in health outcomes between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and non-Indigenous Australians. First, I'll be speaking with Tim Croft. Tim is the Aboriginal Health Unit Manager in the South East Sydney Local Health District. Uh, so, welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thanks very much, Thomas. Uh, can you tell me a bit about yourself and your role? Um, okay. Uh, I'm proud Gurindji and Mongian man, so we're from the Territory, my family. Um, however, I live here in Sydney, have done for 25 years, and I work uh, across a sort of a population health approach to Aboriginal health. I came from a bit of a clinical background. About uh, five years ago, I changed from my whole career as a physio, finished a Master of Public Health in Aboriginal Health and Wellbeing. Um, I, I jumped across, actually, after I had a bit of a life event. I got through cancer, and I just went, I need to do a bit more. I was actually quite happy in a, a physio career, but I looked at the needs of my family, obviously my Aboriginal family, and I just went, there's more, more to be done. And once I did the Master of Public Health, you went, wow, there's a lot lot that needs uh, attending to, uh, not that I was going to change the world in one day or one year, but I went, I need to do a bit more, so um, got through that, and then there's opportunities that arose. And how does the Close the Gap strategy influence the work that you do within the okay. district? So I wouldn't say there's one Close the Gap strategy. In our, in our district, we're guided by a few uh, state and federal policies that are stepped down and implemented or, or adapted to to address local need. So there's a, a federal Aboriginal health plan, national Aboriginal health plan, which goes uh, over a period of time. There's the state Aboriginal health plan, the New South Wales, which goes from 2013 to 2023. And we've amended that for local implementation. So in terms of how those things influence us, we really do look at those frameworks. We also, say for example, I've been in my role four years there's a lot of good work that happens on the ground by our Aboriginal staff and our Aboriginal programs and also non-Aboriginal staff involved in, in getting better outcomes. What I would say, though, is there are still significant gaps in services, gaps in outcomes. Um, horrible to say, but in a couple of our local government areas for this district, we have some data, small data sets, which indicate that our life expectancy gap isn't the national average. It's much greater. Okay. So we've got the LGAs of around La Perouse and Botany and the LGA we share with Sydney LHD, which is the Sydney LGA, local government area. And we've got 20-year life expectancy gaps, which is very confronting. Mm-hmm. It's, it wears on me in terms of we have to address that. You know, when I've shared that, initially people always go, wow, that's pretty heavy. We do say we need to capture more data. We need to do lots of other things. We'll, we'll get into that at the moment. But um, when you hear that, the challenge of that, and that's the, the outcome of lots of different things in people's lives. It is how we access health services, what you're exposed to, 
what level of education you've had, what employment opportunities you've had, what were the things in your life. I know we refer to social determinants of health a little bit, but it's around what um, all of those things and the influence they had on health. And then we come in and we look and go, what does what do the health district, what do our services, what are, what are they there, what are they able to achieve? Mm-hmm. So really how we're trying to close the gap is, is going... Where are our service gaps for a start, but also what are the greatest needs in our, in our area? We talk about trying to achieve the 2.6% employment rate for Aboriginal people, but we're only at 1.05%. So there's a lot of work to be done. What are some of the uh, sexual health disparities that we see? There's some big challenges, I think, in, in sexual health and and the data suggests that they're, you know, while rates of HIV are decreasing for the mainstream population, they've actually increased for Aboriginal people in the last three to four years. Um, my little bugger with data is sometimes it takes a year after mainstream data to come out, but not in the sexual health space. Um, places like the Kirby Institute, sexual health services, they're, they're, they're very effective at uh, relaying what's happened in the previous year. Uh, we know that there was a, um, a syphilis outbreak over the last sort of uh, half a decade in the top end of Australia, my, my family are up in the top end of desert country. Uh, and I've, I've watched that space with interest as numbers have grown from initially the NT, spread to WA, then, then Queensland, South Australia. So it's, it's spreading further around. Cases are increasing. That's in, in STI, in syphilis. And there's a bit of an awareness around um, the challenge in that space now. Why, why are they increasing? Why is there this outbreak? I just uh, heard recently that um, there's, a, there's a sort of interesting rates of uh, STIs and HIV in Papua New Guinea, and there's a bit of movement socially between Papua New Guinea, Torres Strait, that's always been there, that's been there before colonisation. Okay. Um, so we see with these you know, challenges in some of those uh, non-metropolitan areas and how, how, does, how does that influence what's happening here. I do think Sydney's a massive melting pot, as we know, We've got lots of people from lots of different communities in Sydney, um, but but also within that that HIV and STI space, there's the influence of um, injecting drug use and the knowledge that there's a slightly different rate of transmission for men who have sex with men and in the heterosexual uh, population. So we can see that there's a slightly lower rate of transmission with with men have sex with men, but there are high rates of heterosexual transmission, which means that there's probably a need to alter the messages slightly. I think, uh, once again, this is stuff I've read recently, the uptake of uh, the the great progress that's been achieved through PrEP Mm -hmm. in HIV testing, we don't think the same same uptake is there in community. In fact, we know it's not. (laughs) And once again, coming back to how, how health messages are relayed to Aboriginal communities, they need to be culturally safe, uh, and then that space is, is uh, an interesting space, I must say, um, and how we reach different age groups in our populations is also probably going to require some slightly different messages. What are some of the historical reasons for this, and why does it persist today? Uh, that's a... That's a really simple question, but also a bit complex. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of historical challenges. Um, I would say, you know, going back to before I started in my role, yes, we have these lots of things we read about and see in our families, but 
the longer I'm in my role, there's, there's some really interesting things you see. The effects of intergenerational trauma, the effects of government policies, and what we see now in, in families is not just the effect of one generation, it's multiple generations. Uh, and it's not all bad news. I don't want to don't dwell on, on the, the, the challenges of the deficit that other people talk about, and we hear that a lot, don't, don't tell me about deficit all the time because there are some real real strong stories in our community, but we do have to acknowledge the challenges that are there historically. So those things, we've also got uh, how, how hard or easy it is for Aboriginal people to access services. Um, in 2020, we still hear stories of racism. We're doing an anti, anti-racism video project at the moment, and we haven't had a shortage of people coming forward with stories, and that's... Looking at the Aboriginal space, but also the multicultural space. We know the People Matters Employee Survey, of which there was less people participating in that this year, but we had about 10%, was 9% of staff saying that experienced racism. That's our assessment model. Okay. In the, the wider People Matters Employee Survey across the state, where there was a bit more of a, a high number of Aboriginal participation, that for Aboriginal people, what do you think it was? Lower, higher, same? Higher, I yeah, it was 25%. Okay. When I heard that, I went, well, that's shocking, but you go, I'm not really surprised. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of services in the district, I think, uh, do a fantastic job. They're champions of Aboriginal health. They've got high rates of attendance at respecting the difference training, face-to-face and online. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a desire in most services to, to learn more about well, how, do we, how do we take on board here the, the historical context for Aboriginal people. is being released on National Close the Gap Day. What is the significance of this day? I suppose uh, for Aboriginal people, uh, there's a bit of a mixed feeling around uh, the intent of Close the Gap and and what has been achieved. I do think um, it's interesting that only recently the, the federal government or the Commonwealth have decided that, hey, maybe we should actually engage with Aboriginal communities to hear how, how they think we could better close the gap. Because until this last year and a half, with I think we're up to our uh, 13th report of, of missed targets, some of the areas are being addressed. Education is improving. So educational outcomes for kids, achieving Year 12, uh, attaining, attaining a Year 12 certificate and getting to university, they've, they've jumped significantly. But our health targets are still quite shocking. So our life expectancy gap, um, over the time of the Close the Gap reports, it actually has narrowed small, small amounts. But in terms of the life expectancy, as Aboriginal people are living a little bit longer, the rates for mainstream Australians are actually growing a little bit larger again. So we're not actually closing the gap at all. more enabling through things like uh, the Makarata, the statement from the heart, the earlier statement. So that was around providing an, uh, an, an Aboriginal voice in Parliament, which hasn't been um, been accepted yet, mm-hmm. uh, advising on the fact that, well, we don't want so much constitutional recognition, which is an important step. We'd like to see a treaty. And those types of empowerment um, uh, steps are really important for Aboriginal people in achieving better outcomes everywhere. So we, we do think part of um, improving outcomes for Aboriginal people will be getting a better, a, a better 
opportunity to say what is needed. the challenges faced by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in relation to HIV and sexual health, and outlines recommendations to improve health outcomes. Welcome to the podcast, John. Hello. Uh, can you tell me a bit about your background and what made you want to work in the area of HIV and sexual health? Mm, so I actually don't work in the space of HIV and sexual health. I guess um, I work in the community space. My involvement with ACON as a community volunteer um, and somewhat of an advisor to the actual project worker that uh, is based at ACON. Um, uh, I got involved with this paper, I guess, because of that, and they've met me through working on Mali Roughloads, volunteering the organisation. I've also been involved in one of the HIV campaigns back in 2017. Um, and back then, um, I hadn't been diagnosed with HIV, so when they did ask me to come and be a part of this paper. They wanted me to come in as a person that's now, that has since been diagnosed with HIV um, and undetectable. And I guess that's the reason why they wanted to have Aboriginal voices within the development of the paper so that it was properly informed. Not just me, they had other members uh, a part of, or community members that were a part of the drafting of this paper. That paper we were talking about uh, was called uh, HIV in the New South Wales Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Population Paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the process like? Um, it was really good. I think ACON have been doing this, and when I say doing this, been working in the LGBTI community space for, for a long time. They've been doing it with Aboriginal people um, for a long time as well. And they really do have an understanding and an appreciation for process and working with Aboriginal people, um, not for us and not um, trying to do it uh, on our regard, but actually having us be a part of our own solutions. So I think um, the process in itself has been really great in that we sort of knew what we were getting ourselves into we were guided through the conversations and these are the types of things um, and so we had our own as people as community members we have our own experiences and understandings of our journey should it be around HIV um, but it was good to have ACON be able to quantify or even provide academic examples um, and support some of the things that we're, we were feeling and to know that it wasn't just here that we were able to find international um, research that was also supporting um, these types of trends around, you know, how racism plays out in sexual health, how um, uh, the colonisation and the impact of colonisation, how that's affected the natural community, but also may even have an effect on um, HIV transmission or, you know, the fact that Aboriginal people are still growing in terms of getting um, HIV. What does your uh, career look like today? My career, um, it's been crazy. Well, I, I started, I've, been, I've worked for a lot of people in, I've done everything to be honest, and then I used to be a labourer, I used to be everything else, security guard, then I went through the public service, um, I started managing education and employment contracts for the federal government, and then after that I left the public service and joined um, the community sector, where I've been working since 2016, and I've just worked through um, children's services, all the services here at the NCIE, um, until just recently being appointed the operations manager of, um, of the whole of the NCIE, which is 
finished the social enterprise that runs a gym, accommodation for the catering company, uh, a whole bunch of community service programs. Um, so that's what I've done. I spend a lot of time uh, volunteering and working at other Aboriginal community control organisations like Queen Radio, Capital Information Service, and the newly established um, Black Aboriginal Corporation, um, which is specifically targeted at servicing Aboriginal LGBTIQ community members. Oh, yeah, fantastic. What sort of stuff are they doing? So they just we really just started that up at the end of last year, so we're about six months old. Um, and our the reason why we set it up is because we wanted a space or an organisation that we could go to that could support us in our everyday life, be it helping us with education, supporting us for employment, being a social network, um, and even providing education resources to people that are natural communities specifically around how what does it mean to be um, an ally of an LGBTI person, how to support them, but also um, how can family members gain a better understanding of what does that mean for them. Um, it's pretty broad. We also, um, and because it's so fresh and so new, it really is up to its, our members and our community to tell us what the types of things they want us to, to the types of things that they want us to come out of In recent years, the gap in HIV notification rates has widened. Between 2012 and 2016, there was a 33% increase in HIV notifications in Indigenous populations, while in the same period there was a 22% decrease for Australian-born non-Indigenous people. Uh, why do these differences occur? Again, I think it goes back to Aboriginal people um, having conversations about um, sexual behaviours, but also um, the lack of engagement with services and knowing where they can go to have those services to get those services, um, and being comfortable and having conversations about sexual identities. I don't think um, our companies are having that, but also they haven't been feeling safe in terms of the services that are there. I think about um, rural and remote communities that are probably not having those conversations or understand the um, importance of regular testing. Another, another reason why I think um, the transmissions are so hard in the natural community is the natural community in itself finding hard to have conversations about um, gender and being gay in general and the services, the historical services that are there, like our actual medical services, we know that our young LGBTI um, people, Aboriginal Torres peoples, don't like to use those services should they want to go and talk about sexual health. Um, they would, they prefer to go to a sexual health specialist. My next guest is Kevin Heath. Kevin is the Aboriginal Health Promotion Officer at the HIV and Related Programs Unit in the South East Sydney Local Health District. He works closely with local Aboriginal communities and stakeholders to deliver HIV, sexual health and viral hepatitis prevention programs. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Can you tell me about your background and uh, what made you want to work in the area of HIV and sexual health? So, yeah, I, um, I'm from Harbour Bay, Fraser Island. I'm a proud bachelor man um, from Gari. We call Fraser Island Gari, which is paradise, which means paradise. Um, I grew up there as a kid, um, originally from there, and moved to Sydney from a young age. So I was very fortunate enough um, to fall into my position, and I say fall into my position because uh, I'll explain a little bit how I got into it. I was 19 years of age, and 
didn't know too much about HIV-STIs. I did have someone previously, uh, Ronald Prince, who actually was in my position when I was at school, come to my school and visit me and do a talk to not just me, but all the Indigenous lads. And, um, yeah, he did that talk, but it was me growing up as a young Aboriginal fella. And as a young kid, sport was my go-to. And I just happened to see this job and have someone point out this position I applied for at the HARP unit and um, just happened to fall into the position and apply for it. And, and it was something that when I heard what the position was about and how good it was and how, um, how you know, I could benefit from it, but also the community could benef- benefit from it was something that made me want to get the position. And so it was when I was 19, so that's nine years ago um, that I have been in this position. And, you know, I haven't looked back. It's, it's, it's expanded, it's grown, it's been able to helped me grow into the person I am today and, you know, I'm very fortunate that, you know, my management, who are still my management, um, who interviewed me on my first day, very fortunate that they've enabled me to, you know, basically grow my own wings and, and build a position to what it is today. Yeah, so when we look at barriers accessing mainstream services, there is, um, not just for Aboriginal people, but for everyone. Um, it, it's the shame, once again, you know, if, if you've got to go to a psychologist, it's like, oh, you know, people might think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I've got to go to a GP or if I go to a sexual health clinic, well, what's going on there? Mm-hmm. When I first started, there was a massive barrier of kids talking to me because, oh, he's a sexual health worker. He's a person that's promoting sexual health. Oh, that kid's, you know, having sex or, or that kid's got a problem he's going to get an STI test. So... I learned very early on that I've got to introduce myself as a health worker. But then when I'm in a program and I'm in a closed group, actually this is what my position is. This is what I'm employed to do. I'm here to educate you and give you awareness around hepatitis, blood-borne viruses, uh, HIV, STIs. Um, so when we talk about access to mainstream, it is to a degree because there is, um, I think to, to, to a certain point, a lack of understanding once again, that comes back to education. Um, you know, we, we go to the doctor when we're not feeling well. We go to the hospital when it's severe or an emergency. Um, that there are people out there that can that can test and give you a you know absolutely give you a whole body check. Um, you know, we got um, seven one five that now we're trying to roll out to get a lot of Aboriginal people on the seven one five do their proper health checks and to go in and let them know that they can do that with their GP. Um, the 715 when you go to GPs is a health, that's a whole approach. So checking everything and, and anything that you might need. Which includes sexual health? Sexual health, including that, yeah. So anything that you basically need done, they're able to do. And, and, you know, some people do some of it and don't do it all, but it's good that if you can get onto it and then you can get across it all because it helps you have a look at your health at a, at a broader range. You can actually see, okay, sweet, you might feel fit, but you might have a hole in your tooth, so you might have... Yeah something wrong with your mouth or, or if you might feel perfectly fine everything might be good but hey you got an STI that you didn't know you got and you had it from a weekend or a month ago so mm-hmm. 715 is a really good opportunity for people to go out and get tested and not just with STIs but so locally barriers are the trust the trust is a massive thing um, it's easy for people to go oh you know well, you know, whether the indigenous kids go and take them to the AMS or go and take them to the medical centre at Lava, mm-hmm. go and take them to their doctor. Mm-hmm. But 
they might be related to someone at AMS, they might be related to someone at the medical centre, they might, it might be the family doctor, they're scared that they're going to, the confidentiality is going to get shared with auntie, with Nan, with pop, um, with mum or dad. So that is probably not one thing, is a trust and confidentiality that, that they don't realise that once they go to a GP or a psychologist, whatever it might be for whatever situation, but when you go to a professional, it's all confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was, uh, that is one uh, a big, big barrier. Um, We've been able to sort of knock it on his head a little bit. We're, we're you know, introducing and telling kids that they can apply for a Medicare card from a young age of 15. Um, it's all on them. It's, it's, it's up to them to look after their health. But, you know, you look on the other end of the spectrum and you've got Aboriginal men at the age of 55 in the community dying from heart attacks and, and, and so forth. And it's that whole, well, I don't need to go to a doctor because I'm not dying. Mm-hmm. So it's just that the education, I think, is, is the biggest key. And, and so I, you know, been able to in my position at HARP is, is not just talk about sexual health and bloodborne viruses, but to be able to talk about health holistically, be able to talk about the real issues in the community, be able to talk about the real issues that these kids are facing at, at a young age, what their families are facing, you know, teaching kids about bloodborne viruses and injecting it and stuff. Well, no, they're not doing it, but no, but they are exposed to it. Um, being able to tell them that, you know, th- that wearing one condom is better than wearing two condoms. It's like, well, they're, they're a smart kid, they don't need to know that because they already know that. No, but they can be a peer for their friends and they'll be able to be a leader for their friends. Stigma, shame, confidentiality, trust. Trust is a big one. And I think over my time, my, in my position, and, and I'm very fortunate with my management, that that is the first step to getting a program or a partnership done. I help out Phoebe with the events that we run at Prince of Wales, um, Prince of Wales Hospital, and I'm on the sort of steering committee to, to do an event there at Prince of Wales and one issue that we come up with is getting a headshot of each Aboriginal worker within our local health district with a bit of a blurb on what they do in their role not what their role tells them to do but a blurb on what they actually do in their role mm. and then that's going to be showcased at the event but in the hospital later on during the year as well so if someone's walking during the hospital they see a photo of Kevin Heath makes it more personal makes it more personal they understand oh I've got a young kid that actually could benefit from going to one of these young men's programs that, that talk about health holistically mm-hmm. um, you know oh I've got a friend who she's not Aboriginal but her partner's Aboriginal and got, she's got a baby there might be an organisation in the women's hospital there might be a person in the women's hospital the rural women's that can help her through her, through her pregnancy so that is a great way of showcasing that there are people there and this is what they do because if I was to tell people my role is to prevent and give awareness in HIV STIs, they're going to be like, okay. But if I turn around and say, I'm employed and I do this in my role, uh, I work hard, this is my role, but this is what I do, I, I tackle all these topics. Oh, uh, where do we do it? I might go and access, get my young person, my young lad to access... This program. Can you tell me a little bit more about the programs that you run in the local area? Yeah, so the programs that I've been able to run in the local area and with the schools, communities, um, services, and the local services, it's, it's a whole holistic approach I've taken. Um, but what I do, what I do is I go in, well, I don't go and look for a service now except to the point where people know what I do. People come, you know, send me an email, send me a text, give me my phone. Working in the community, it's, it's easy to get on the phone. A lot of people don't like to send the emails when working in the community. They like to just get straight to the source. Mm-hmm. So I go into an organisation and, and I talk to, you know, the target group. You know, if they've got a, a group, a young, young men's group or if it's, you know, Indigenous Boys Program in a school, 
I sit down with them and I, and I tell them what I do. I open up and let them know who I am um, and what I'm employed to do. And basically give them the floor. So if it's at a school, they'll give me a set day each week to come in and run this program. I allow the young men to name the program. I allow the young men to give me topics for the program. And then I take it upon myself to make it inclusive for them. So we name the program. We've had um, um, Teacher Brothers being one program we've named. And basically from that, they've talked about they want to talk about mental health. They want to talk, yeah, we have to talk about the sexual health. We have to talk about the blood-borne viruses because there's one or two less either in the program or know people in their lives that have home job tattoos or maybe injecting or maybe just taking drugs. So we talk about alcohol and other drugs. Um, and then the thing about nutrition, a lot of kids are like healthy. They not all of them come from really wealthy backgrounds, so there's what's accessible, the food what's accessible. Macca's, you know, they have a Macca's three times a week. Like, you know, it's cheap, it's easy, but it's not really good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving them the awareness and an opportunity to learn about nutrition. Um, and then in, we incorporate, incorporate um, physical, physical activity, whether it's a game of touch, whether it's a game of basketball, whether it's you know, going down and doing some sprint training, some running. And so by doing that, um, it allows them to create a safe space to learn, it allows them to create a safe space to ask questions, and allows them to create a safe space to turn around and say, Kev, I think I want to get a sexual health checker. Um, but that's how these programs run, and it's really successful. And I think if we can give them that knowledge, then when they have kids, these statistics that we have, how we have closed the gap, and we want to close this gap, but it's been 12 years, and, and apparently the gap hasn't really closed. Um, if we can give them that in this area where I work, and if I can look to the best of my knowledge, it's going to help them think smarter and not harder when it comes to getting results. This has been the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast for National Close for Gap Day 2020. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn to stay up to date with the latest news related to sexual health. If you like the podcast, please share and subscribe.